Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's the report, old report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. Super Bowl 57 is here between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles. A wild week in the NBA leading up to and after the NBA trade deadline. Some historic moves made or not made for several of the most important and well-known players in the league. College basketball continues to get exciting. Nothing circles the wagons quite like the National Football League. But as Lakers fans, we get to start our own show off with some news. As the Lakers finally made many of their fans' wishes come true. Gone are Russell Westbrook, Patrick Beverly, Thomas Bryant, who had the nerve to call for the basketball when LeBron James was shooting his last shot. It's an end of an era in L.A., or as people have said on Twitter, the end of an era, as Russell Westbrook has been shipped out of town to the Utah Jazz for now. Patrick Beverly has been traded to the Magic for now. Now the Los Angeles new-look Lakers have gotten younger, smarter, faster, stronger. Hello again, D'Angelo Russell. Hello, Mo Bamba. It's been crazy to try to keep up with what the Los Angeles Lakers have been doing. But the headline around this, a trade has finally been made for Russell Westbrook. A trade was made to get rid of Pat Beverly. And it's a new dawn for the Los Angeles Lakers who are putting their chips on the table and trying to do something here to hopefully get into the postseason in a West that, well... Before the NBA trade deadline seemingly was wide open, that might have changed, but at least they tried this time. And for once, it's deals that I think most Los Angeles Lakers fans don't hate, which is nice for once. Johnny, good evening. Uh, Welcome back to all our friends and our listeners. It was a a very rare couple days in sports when somehow, some way, for 48 hours or thereabouts and during Super Bowl week and only a few days from the Super Bowl, the NFL has actually taken a back seat to a wild pre-trade deadline weekend all spurned by the always unhappy, uh, always miserable, always confounding, Mr. It's Always Somebody Else's Fault. Uh, Kyrie Irving, who really kicked off what has been uh, unseen before 72 hours uh, before the trade deadline and leading up to the trade deadline. And the the Lakers, we'll go back to everybody else in a minute, but the Lakers 
made moves that everybody's been waiting for, pushing for. Unfortunately, uh, there's not. You know, it's not like Major League Baseball where there's almost half the season left after the All Star break. Uh, the season will be nearly over by the time they finally get to the All-Star break. There's only uh, about 25, 26 games left. Uh, and you know the Lakers have got a lot, extreme amount of work to do. They are five games under 500 at 25 and 30, I believe uh, right now they sit. Uh, 55 shows, 27 games left or thereabouts, 26 or 27 games left in the 82-game season. So a lot of work to do and not very much time to do it. Uh, they were awful the other night when LeBron broke the record against an OKC club that came off giving up 212 points, I think. The prior night in the back-to-back, they played no defense. Anthony Davis was disgusted. LeBron broke the record. Great. But they but literally treated the ball like it was ticking with turnover after turnover. It was a poorly coached game. It was a poorly played game. The outcome was hideous. They fell further into the depths of despair. And people have been waiting and calling for Rob Polinka to make moves. Everybody thought they were going to have to give up those two closely guarded first-round picks. They did not. They only had to give up one of those picks, and it was lottery protected, at least for the first four uh, spots in the lottery. And that converts to a second-round pick if it is protected the next year in the deal with Minnesota and Utah, in which they rid themselves of Russ in a deal which is, in all probability, the worst trade in Laker history. And it's not because Russ didn't try hard. Russ didn't give you effort, but the problem was Russ just never fit. And as we've said time and time again, this also isn't the prime Russ, 26, 28, even 30 years old. He's not the Russ that he was. The effort's still there, but the results are not. And the shooting is not, the free throw shooting is not, the finishing is not. Still has the ability to push, still has the ability to fly up and down the court, but it was never a great fit with LeBron and Anthony Davis and they paid the price because they gave up important players from their championship run a few years ago to make this trade. And they let certain players go that were important players and they paid the price at the first year they were on the road to a high finish in the West before the injury struck. And by the time AD got back, uh, he was, really not fully recovered and then got hurt again in their six-game loss to Phoenix. Last year, of course, was the abortion when AD got hurt. LeBron got hurt. They didn't even make the play-in. And then this year, up and down, back and forth, one step forward, two steps back, terrible defense. Russ takes the sixth-man role, uh, really thrives at it, but still a team with a lot of glaring deficiencies, mostly on the defensive end and outside shooting. And they makes it basically made a number of these and, and also coming into this year, a very old team. And because of the contracts of LeBron and Anthony Davis, and of course, Russ, they get a lot of cap space. They were forced to make minimum signings and they had to replace a lot of older players 
And they did that in the beginning of the year with younger players, but now what they did is between the rush deal and the other trades, they traded for much younger players, much more athletic players, and players who are better shooters because they desperately need three-point shooting. They did that. We won't bore our listeners with all the details, but the bottom line is uh, the players they brought in for the rest of this year as they get adjusted are going to be a huge help and change the face of the Lakers for this year and years to come because with the exception of uh, what's old is new again, the return of what was the second pick in the draft, uh, Mr. Russell, who came in from Minnesota, back to the Lakers as their new point guard. Everybody will be back that they traded for in these last couple of days uh, under contract. And meanwhile, D'Angelo Russell can be re-signed because they have his bird rights if they want to re-sign him. Uh, so they have a lot of options. They have a lot of new faces. They have a lot of youth. They have a lot of length. And they're going to be a lot better eventually. It may not be for this year. They still may not make the postseason. But for the last few years of LeBron and Anthony Davis, for as long as they're together and under contract, the Lakers have a chance to be a lot better. Can this season be salvaged? It can. But it will have to come together very quickly. As D'Angelo Russell fits in as the new point guard. Uh, Mo Bamba as an excellent big man and defender off the bench. Malik Beasley is an excellent three-point shooter off the bench. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt as an excellent three and four defender and rebounder and sometimes three-point shooter, probably off the bench. Uh, they didn't bring in Gary Trent Jr., who I was dying for. Uh, but they did bring back Bamba in because we were all waiting for the, the shooter or the next shooter drop on the trade of the hideous kid Toxic, uh, the one and only 106-year-old, uh, three-foot-nine-inch Patrick Beverly, who has been absolutely hideous for the Lakers. And they moved him late this afternoon with his cap space and a second-round pick, or picks, not sure yet, uh, for Mo Bamba from Orlando, who is signed through next year. I was hoping that would be the deal for Gary Trent Jr., but needless to say, all these deals make them better. All these deals make them younger. All these teams make them better defensively and a better three-point shooting team. We'll see how they pan out. But that is not, despite it being the Lakers, despite Russ being moved, it all pales in comparison to what late night, last night, the New Jersey Nets did in moving Kevin Durant to the Phoenix Suns in the mega deal that shocked the NBA overnight. It was shocking. So much shocking that the Brooklyn Nets might be better off moving back to New Jersey after while their trade deadline went. Because what was once this promising big three, how many championships can we possibly win with James Harden, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant is no more. And they played a calendar's pages worth of games together a failed experiment at that because of injuries and pusses being out of shape blew it all up. And it's officially all blown up now as Kyrie Irving was the first domino to fall, as you mentioned, to go to Dallas. And then late in the evening, a lot of people woke up to the news. Kevin Durant 
to the Phoenix Suns, and you think, well, they must have got rid of most of their stars, and now the Suns are just going to be this graveyard. How is it going to work with him in Phoenix? Nope. DeAndre Ayton's still there. Chris Paul's still there. Brooks is still there. Okay. Who who they miss? Oh, Jay Crowder got shipped out of town. Oh, no. Cameron Payne's not there anymore. Oh, God. What a lineup that's going to be now in Phoenix. When you take a step back and just look at the situations of these dudes, Kevin Durant, who he's played with, who he's decided to leave or who it hasn't worked with, Kyrie Irving, who he's played with, who it hasn't worked with. I mean, I don't want to be somebody that says going to where you want to play or playing you want to play with is uh, tarnished to a legacy. But when you're a fan of the sport, looking a little bit back, it is. It pisses you off. Of course, if you're your own person, go play with whoever you want. Go to whatever your team you want. But as a fan, you don't have to like it. And it's just ugly now, again, seeing these guys not be able to work whatever it was out and leave. And of course, Kyrie is saying, well, it's nice I can go somewhere where I'm respected. It's nice that I'll get the clout that I deserve. I'm going to a team that wants me here. Then how come you were talking about wanting to sign like a four-year deal with the Nets, bro? Like a week ago? What changed all of a sudden to get out of town? Oh, Kevin Durant's out of town too. Good for him for getting out of there. Why'd you go there in the first place then, man? It's not like you were drafted there and were chained to a post. You decided all this. Now all of a sudden it wasn't working out when they bent the knee to do whatever you people, Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, wanted in Brooklyn. The world was your oyster. Whatever you guys need, we'll try to find a way. And now you've left them at the side of the road like garbage to go play with Luka Doncic, which God bless Mark Cuban, who's been very outspoken about Kyrie stupid for biting whatever bullet he bit off at bringing this guy in. Luka's been kind of begging for getting a guy. Holds the ball a lot. Offense just kind of runs through him. It works. But it'd be nice to have a second or a number two in a sense, maybe down in the post or somebody he could work off of. Who's going to get the ball now? This is going to be playing keep away from each other, Kyrie and Doncic. Yeah, Kyrie won his first game with the Mavericks. You know who wasn't playing? Luka, he was on the bench. Let's see what happens when they're on the floor together. And now Kevin Durant going to play with his friend. Friends, plural. This is Chris Paul's dream. At the end of his career, who can I pass it to now? Look at these stars surrounding me. I mean, it's a great move for Kevin Durant, but it's also another one where you take a step back and go like, what are you just going to keep going to the best team in the league? (laughs) Whenever something's not working out for you, you try to go out on your own and build your own team and it blew up in your face. So, well, I already did the golden state route. Who else is good over there in the West? Let me see if I can get over there to the Suns. It'll be exciting for the NBA, no question. The West, which was wide open, as we previously had mentioned, is now a stronghold of favoritism to the Suns. The Lakers, who made all these moves, 
thinking that it would be great in a wide open West are now like, oh, well, now it's getting a little bit more difficult. That's not great. So the West is going to be a thrilling place come playoff time, no question about it. But I'm curious to get your thoughts on how you feel about these moves from the guys that unfortunately, with as good as they are, and the potential, I shouldn't even say potential, the probable Hall of Fame careers that they're having and will have, that we're doing this again. It's Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant again having these moves made for the betterment of themselves so they could go off and try this. Just throw this on the wall and see if it sticks. I don't know what chapter we're at in this with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, but we're here. And it happened in a 24-hour period. Just crazy in the NBA that this is now another headline and talking point. Well, this is a problem that is created twofold. You have one of the best players of all time in Kevin Durant who left Oklahoma City uh, for free agency and being partnered with Russell Westbrook for the Warriors, a ready-made championship team, and made them a better champion. And then after getting hurt and losing in the finals to Toronto, for some reason or other decided being here wasn't good enough, whether it was a fallout with Draymond Green or I want my own team, whatever the reason. You know, it's free agency. You have a right to do it. But, you know, he left a great situation. He left a great situation before that, that he was in with Russ. When they, and, you know, when they lost the 3-1 lead to Golden State. But not only did he leave, he chose to leave and purposely partner up with the always miserable, always discontented, always talk for 10 minutes and we got to figure out what he said, always sounding incredibly bright, missed 185, 200 IQ, played four seconds at Duke, will live the rest of his NBA life off of one shot, that won the title against Golden State for LeBron in Cleveland. Mr. Unreliable himself. The fickle, have bag packed, will travel. Give me what I want or I'm leaving or I'm walking or I'm not playing Kyrie Irving. How in the world a player of his caliber, now with two championships, made that decision, I will never understand. Leaving Golden State is one thing, which I couldn't understand. But for this, for this guy, this is who you hitched your wagon to for the next part of your career? And go to a franchise that's never won a championship, that is second fiddle in its own area? For a juggernaut with a massive fan base, with 
the perfect Hall of Famer to play with that was a great compliment to you in a great organization and a great framework who, by the way, uh, are the defending champs because they won without you? For Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving. The original kid toxic who got sick of LeBron and couldn't play with anymore and left Cleveland and talked his way into Boston, said, I'm never leaving. And then the next thing, you know, get me out of here. Couldn't wait to leave. And all they've done is gone to final after final. Okay. Conference final, conference final, conference final, NBA final without him. And then he teams up with KD. And it was nothing but a mess. Injuries, the virus, I don't want to play, anti-Semitism. Let's bring in James Harden. I don't want to play with James Harden. He and Harden don't get along. James Harden wants out. In, out, who wants to be here? Musical chairs, all the draft picks are gone. It's all around three guys slash two guys. They're great when they're together, but they're never together. Three, two, one, liftoff, all gone, all gone. And after Harden was gone and the fiasco of last year with COVID and the anti-vax, and not being able to play, and then not being able to play in home games, and then taking two weeks off for no apparent reason without telling the team where he was or why he was going or when he was coming back. And a nightmare last year when they get swept in the playoffs in the first round against the Celtics. Then comes this year. When it's more of the same. And the anti-Semitism kicks in. And, well, you know, it's never my fault. Well, no, it's, it's, of course not. How could it possibly be your fault? You're Kyrie. You're smarter than everybody else. The press conferences where he talks forever, and when he's finished, my head's just spinning. Whether the earth is flat, whether, you know, you're anti-Semitic or you're not, whether the post is up or it's down, it's always something. But the bottom line is it's never your fault. That's the best part. Because you're too smart for us. You're too smart for us and you're smarter than everybody else. And then finally, somehow, some way, shockingly, the noise dies down. Why? Because for a very nice stretch of a couple months, he does what he hardly ever does. He just plays. And they start winning, even without Kevin Durant. And, geez, maybe it's coinciding with the fact that he's going to be a free agent. And he realizes after a con, maybe a conversation with his agent, you know, dude, you're going to have to start playing because right now you got no trade value. And I don't know who's going to give you even a two-year deal. Forget that massive four-year deal. So I think we need to start playing a little bit and show the rest of the league that you're going to play instead of doing whatever else you're doing, talking, walking, not using all that talent. And the Nets are winning. 
And he's leading the team. And he's playing and talking like a leader. He's even making some sense in these post-game ramblings. He's talking about what's going on on the court and how they're meshing and how they're progressing. And he can't wait till KD gets back. You know, and, and they have a chance to be really you know, successful. And then we're inching towards the trade deadline. And KD's getting closer to getting back. Oops. Guess what? Time for me to tell the world I want a contract extension. And if I don't get that contract extension, you know, not two years, all right, and 78, I want the four-year, $198 million. That's right, folks. That's right. You heard that. Four years and $198 million. Guaranteed. Just under $50 million a year. Guaranteed. For the guy whose bags are always packed and who talks in circles. I don't get that. I want to be traded. And the insulting Nets, their negotiations and their contract offer was based upon incentives and making the finals and team success. And, you know, those would all be tied into what? Uh, I, I guess, God forbid, him playing for you know, a good number of games each of those four years. So that was unacceptable. So the bombshell comes from Kyrie and his agent, uh, who is a family member, that I- I'm demanding a trade. And now the Nets are flummoxed, and Kevin Durant is getting ready to come back from his injury. And what are the Nets going to do? And Kyrie sits out. And how are we going to get value? And who's going to the Lakers? But he's not going to the Lakers. And the Lakers don't have enough. And Joe Side doesn't want to trade him to the Lakers because that's where he wants to go. And he winds up, after all of the machinations, Twitter, and all over social media, that he's bound for the Lakers. And LeBron being disappointed that he's not. He winds up in Dallas with Luka Doncic. Uh, still without a contract, and playing for his supper. And we'll see what happens at the end of this year if he winds up going into free agency, if they offer him a two-year, $78 million deal. I can't believe anyone, no matter what he does, short of going to the finals, is going to offer him four years and $200 million, but who knows? Four years, $198 million, who knows? And now... What do the Nets do? They take Dallas's offer because they're trying to bring in not draft picks. They want the best possible group of players to supplement and complement Kevin Durant. So they don't want to take the Lakers picks, which is just Russ and cap space and two first rounders and a couple younger players that they demanded in Reeves and Christie, which the Lakers said no to. The best offer they get for now with players comes from Dallas with Spencer Dinwiddie, who returns to the Nets, and uh, Finney Smith, who's a really nice two-way player, and some packs. So decent value to supplement KD. But then on the next, before the next shoe drops, KD says, you know, I really want to be in Phoenix if you can trade me. 
That's where I want to go. So you, the, the Nets are negotiating on two fronts. They're negotiating on the one hand for players to supplement KD, and the next thing you know, they're negotiating to trade take KD. So they did the one thing that didn't complement the other thing. If they're going to trade KD, they should have ripped it apart and gotten a ton of picks instead of you know a couple of nice players. Uh, but they didn't know they were going to trade KD, I guess. And the next thing you know, KD's gone and they don't get a superstar. They get some nice players, uh, you know, from Phoenix. They get Cam Johnson. Uh, you know, they, they get the Villanova national champion who's turned into a terrific player. So they get two kind of three and Ds. Uh, they get some picks. They get Jay Crowder, who hasn't played all year. They shipped off to Milwaukee. Uh, for Kevin Durant? For Kevin Durant? For KD? For, you know, in all probability, a top 20 all-time player and two-time champion. Granted, he's 34, and he's injured again. But they, they didn't get the book. They didn't get DeAndre Ayton. They got a really nice versatile small forward and a really nice lesser versatile small forward. I mean, it's mind numbing. You had an entire league literally set upside down by one disgruntled player in career, which turned a franchise on its ear, a conference upside down, and havoc unlike we've seen in recent memory. All because one guy who is never happy showed once again that he never can be happy. And no matter what happens, he won't be happy in Dallas. He won't be happy when he leaves Dallas. He won't be happy where he winds up because some guys are just never happy. And Kyrie Irving is perpetually dissatisfied. He's an incredibly bright kid. He's massively gifted. And then at his press conference, he has the unmitigated gall to say, no one appreciates me. No one understands me. No one respects me. No one ever talks about my work ethic. Well, we talk about your work ethic because you don't work. You don't show up for work. We talk about it all the time. We know you work. You couldn't be have become what you are, this incredibly gifted player, without putting the work in. We know you worked to, to, to get there. The problem we have is once you're there, you don't work like everybody else. You don't show up. You walk away whenever you want to. You sit down. You quit. I want to work somewhere else. I don't care what my contract says. I have a contract, but I want a new contract. Unless you give me a new contract, team that I'm working for now, I'm not going to work for you anymore. That's the work ethic you have made us talk about. That's the story 
I'm not going to use the N word, which is the most dreaded buzzword in all of life. And you know the one I'm talking about. I want to change the, change the story. The story. You can use the real word for it. The story. That's the story, Morning Glory. We talk about your work ethic. It's hideous when it comes to working for your employer. It sucks. That's your work ethic that we're going to talk about. That's the fucking narrative. All right. You want to change it? Work. Go to the office. All right. Lace them up and work. And stop fucking whining like a little fucking spoiled fucking baby. That's the fucking narrative. That's the fucking story. See how you like it, Mark Cuban. Because I'll tell you what you're going to say. After this is all over this year, and I guarantee we're going to have the same words out of your mouth that we hear on everybody who comes on your show with their idea. For all those reasons, I'm out. That's well said. That's a great mic drop for that. It was an exciting trade deadline day. A lot of moves today. Small ones for certain teams, but good pieces added all over the league. If you're a fan of the Celtics or the Bucs or the Sixers or the Cavs, you're dancing in the aisles because both of these guys are out of your conference. Yeah. And if you're Denver and, uh, you know, Memphis, you're like, what the fuck? (laughs) You know? How did how, how, how'd this happen? John Moran right. saying, I'm good oh, in the West. Oh, oh, yeah. oh, okay, oh. Dallas is better. But, you know, they're never going to pan out because he's nuts. Something will fucking happen eventually, you know, to go haywire. Uh, but how did KD get over here? And they didn't have to give up book? All they had to give up, I should say all they had to give up, as I said before, Mikhail Bridges is a really good player. He's not a superstar, but he's a, a the kind of player you want on a championship team. He's a really good defender. Uh, he's getting better all the time. He's an excellent three-point shooter. He plays. Um, Cam Johnson's a really nice young player. But those were their complementary guys. You didn't get a stud. And you didn't get a slew of first-round picks. So... It, 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 it's, it's, you know, they always say same old Jets. So what are we going to say? It's, it's the same old Jets. Just again, you know, they leave you in a quandary. They leave you in a quandary and you kind of just throw your arms up in the air and, and just say, what just happened? How did this happen? You're Phoenix. This is obviously the, the biggest thing that's happened, you know, to the Phoenix Suns since the acquisition of Charles Barkley. And they may find their way to you know, another final. We'll see. A lot remains to be seen because Durant is coming off injury. And obviously he's not the same player health-wise he's been, you know, since the Achilles. He's been missed the bulk, not the bulk, he's missed a good chunk of time every year since the Achilles. And Chris Paul always gets hurt, you know, somewhere, sometime down the stretch. Book is back, you know, from his injury. Bridges is gone. Jan Johnson's gone. DeAndre Eaton is there, who I'm never thrilled with. But 
signed long-term and a really good young player. Have they got enough? I don't know if they've got enough. They don't have any, they don't have much depth. They did get Thomas Bryant from the Lakers, who was terrific for the Lakers and who I hated to see go, but asked for a trade and they accommodated and got a bunch of second round picks and they weren't going to be able to sign him next year because he was going to get a big increase, uh, which he deserved because he played terrific for them when AD was out. And they turned those picks into Mo Bamba, along with obviously finally clearing themselves uh, from the hideous poison that was uh, Pat Bev. So they did, Denver did make that addition, but, and they moved Bones Highland you know, to the Clippers. So I think Denver made a nice addition, but, you know, are they the class of the West? Right now they are, but, you know, we'll see what happens down the stretch of the season in terms of health, how all these players fit in. And then obviously, you know, the second season, it's going to be a wild playoff. That's for sure. Fans are dying to give another MVP to Jokic and he's looking around like, this is who I'm going to have to go through again. Hard to put somebody like that onto a third straight MVP if you can't get out of the first round of the postseason. That well, used to remember, be a bar that the MVPs usually the postseason, the postseason doesn't count. Correct. And, you know, the, the, the big guys have uh, kind of caught and surpassed, I would say. You know, Jason Tatum was the early leader, and I really think the big guys, namely, uh, you know, obviously Jokic was – coming off two straight and you know Giannis and uh, the big fella in Philly have all I think at least caught Tatum and, and the first two guys may have actually passed them um, so and again a lot of season left but I would and you know, Luke is in the mix also but I, I think the three big guys have at least caught him and, and, and two for sure probably passed him right now so uh, we'll see what happens, uh, you know, in these last 26, 27 games. History also made when it comes to the Lakers as LeBron James is now the all-time points scorer in the National Basketball Association. The all-time leading scorer passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar three 38,388 points was the record. He got 36 points to get there against the Oklahoma City Thunder. You've already mentioned they did lose that game. But 10.9 seconds left in the third. All things come to a halt. LeBron saw what happened with Coach K in Cameron when they lost that game and then had to drag everybody out to celebrate. He's like, listen, Adam Silver, I'm not dealing with this shit after a loss. Once it happens, come on to the court, give you a little speech. Kareem will give me the ball and we'll just pause everything and get it over with. I'm not waiting to see when the game is over because it's not going to be good for us. Well played LeBron. So of course people had to be pissy about that. Oh, why are they stopping the game? This uh, please. I know you're a big Kareem Abdul-Jabbar guy and a LeBron James fan because he plays for the Los Angeles Lakers and before that. 
Of course, the argument and discussion and debate immediately arose once this happened, as it always does when milestones are reached with LeBron James of whether or not this makes him the greatest player of all time, if whether or not you can view him as a greatest scorer of all time. No. Where this ranks all time, all time. No. No. What you're saying is... Despite no. this award and accomplishment, no. LeBron James is still not the greatest player of all time. Correct. Correct. Look, he's a great player. He's an all-time great player. He's durable. He's a, a fabulous all-around basketball player with a great basketball mind. He's not the greatest shooter. He's not the greatest scorer. He's not the greatest passer. He's not the greatest rebounder. Um, he may be the greatest combination of all those things, you know, in one body that stayed incredibly healthy over time because he's a freak of nature and takes great care of himself. Um, he's a wonderful player. Uh, I have him in my top five, uh, Jordan, number one, that's never going to change. Kareem, number two, that's never going to change. I've got him fighting for Wilt Chamberlain with the third spot. Um, at best, I put him third. At worst, I put him fourth. Him three, Wilt four, Wilt three, him four. Uh, you know, Magic five, and then so on down the line with Bird and Kobe and Tim Duncan, et cetera. Uh, but I've got him third at the highest. And, you know, as I will say time and time and time and time again, whether it's he or any other of today's great scores, you have to look at the astounding number of three-point goals that were available to them that weren't available to players of yesteryear like Jerry West. And simply, you know, obviously Kareem had one three-pointer in his in his entire career because he was his center. So, you know, take away all the three-pointers from LeBron and tell me how many of those he's short of Kareem. And when he passes Kareem, gets that many more extra points, then he's the all-time leading. I mean, of course, he's the all-time leading scorer. But, you know, when, when Hank Aaron passed Babe Ruth, there was no different scenario in terms of how you valued home runs. You know, he had to get out of the park or he had to be inside the park home run. Hockey goals are hockey goals. Uh, touchdowns are touchdowns. Although in the NFL, a lot of the rules have changed dramatically to make touchdowns easier. A lot of the rules have changed in the NBA to make scoring easier where you can't be touched, where you get to the foul line when you get coughed on, i.e. LeBron. Um, but the point is the three-point shot the availability of it, number one, and the uh, frequency of it, number two, have changed scoring dramatically. Uh, and the frequency with which it's shot, that's changed all the scoring for everybody who shoots them. And obviously, you know, Kareem was a center. He didn't shoot them. He had one in his entire career from the corner, nothing but net. And as a result, you know, Kareem had the record because of his fabulous career that lasted, you know, 20 years. And he had it for, from 1984 to the other night. Uh, so you know, think about how long that is. And he took it from Wilt. And 
he held it with majesty for all those years. And I frankly never thought it would be broken. But to LeBron's credit, he stayed healthy for the most part. And he's playing terrific right up to, you know, this late stage in his career and still has years to play. And he's going to not just break it. He's going to, I don't want to use the term shatter it, but surpass it and then some. And I think it's a a fabulous achievement on his part, but it doesn't make him the greatest player of all time. It it, it does make him the all-time scoring leader. Is he the greatest scorer or shooter or offensive player in history? No. But he's got the guy. This guy's got the most points. Yeah, so that that's his spot in the record book. And I thought it was great the other night the way Kareem handed the ball over to him in a, in a very majestic style um, and fashion. And I thought that was terrific and well played on both fronts. I didn't need to hear him throw an f bomb. I can do it here on our show, but I didn't need to hear that at the end of the speech the other night. I thought that was a, a bit much and kind of a stain on the evening, uh, which was surpassed by the Lakers' uh, hideous performance. Uh, but he's the new king. He's on the throne when it comes to the all-time scoring leader, to his credit. Uh, I still think, uh, you know, he's third or fourth on the all-time list of great players. And there's, I, I doubt there's anything he's going to be able to do to change that because I don't think he's going to get the six championships, which Kareem has and Michael has. And uh, I don't think he's going to be, you know, a, a player whose career is going to match Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's as the greatest career in the history of the sport from high school to college to the NBA. Ten trips to the final, six championships. We can go on and on and on. Uh, the greatest player in terms of individual accomplishment, team success, and uh, duration, longevity uh, in the history of the sport. Math is not a strong suit for our show, but I threw some numbers together as you were talking about it for the careers comparatively between LeBron James and Kareem. LeBron has 2,237 threes to Kareem's one. How many threes? 2,237. Seems low, wow. doesn't I, it? I, I, I didn't think it was that many. I, you know, you, you, just, you, you just don't think of how many there are. Yeah. You know, you, you really don't. Well, it feels low. I mean, in today's NBA, with how many they shoot, two-pointers, 11,816 to Kareem's 15,836. And LeBron is leading the free throws battle, surprisingly. 8,047 to 6,712. More shots, correct? Oh, I'm, I'm sure. There's no question. They don't have that listed, but yeah, he definitely he's taking more shots. So if we did the math and took away the three-pointers from LeBron's total, he would currently be at 31,000. Six hundred and seventy-nine. Well, no, no, you, you can't take away the you can't take away the three pointers. That's the points said, from the threes. You, you take away the two thousand. You take away one point per bucket. Right. So you take away two thousand two hundred thirty-seven points, which is you know two seasons, give or take. 
you don't play 80 games anymore. So say 70 games at 25 points is, uh, help me out. 70 games is about, uh, 750 points. So it would take him about two, it would take him about two more years. Year and a half. Another year and a half. Right. At a 25 point a game rate ballpark, uh, to repass him. But, you know, he, he would, he would all probability get there anyway. It would just take him longer. But, you know, that's the way of the world. He's the all time leading scorer. There's, there's, there's no doubt. It's his record. Um, but the, um, the, the the point is the uh, the longevity is spectacular, you know, for both players, and he's he's uh, his health is is just remarkable, and you know, he's out tonight against uh, against the Bucks with the ankle slash foot injury, but he has uh, stayed relatively healthy this year, and he is uh, playing at an incredibly high rate, at least offensively. One of the things about LeBron James that I'm happy I've done, and we've talked about it before on the show, is appreciating what he's doing and his accomplishments. I think as a Lakers fan, he didn't really move the needle much with the Cavs, but once he went to the Heat and they started winning and they had the big three and the decision, et cetera, you couldn't help but hate the guy. I mean, not actually, but strongly dislike as a fan for what they were doing, winning championships and and how it all went down. But then when he went to Cleveland, when he beat golden state, when he had the block came back from three, one, a a switch kind of flips where it's like, we need to just appreciate what's happening and what we're getting to watch. I mean, I watched Michael Jordan play, but I wasn't watching at an age where I could appreciate it at eight you don't really appreciate what you're watching until you get a little older and a little wiser and you follow the sport more and you get to learn about different eras. Once you could appreciate what LeBron's doing, instead of just nitpicking every little thing that he's doing and try to do, it's so much more enjoyable to watch him play basketball. And as... He continues to break records and hopefully win a couple more championships. He wants to win. It's what he says. You just keep getting the feeling when you take a step back and look at it all. Maybe this dude is the greatest of all time. But even if he's not and he's just in the conversation and clearly on the Mount Rushmore, it's so much easier to just enjoy it regardless of who number one Remember, is. Remember, you know, the, the argument that he, you know, whoever is and whoever isn't is not a knock, is not a criticism of whoever isn't. Right. We are separating these guys by, you know, razor thin margins. You know, my choice of Jordan, Kareem, you know, Wilt slash LeBron are putting out the four most statistically dominant players in the history of the sport. 
Kareem was the all-time leading scorer with six championships and 10 finals. Now LeBron's the all-time leading scorer with four championships in 10 finals. Wilt was the all-time leading scorer and rewrote the record book. And every time you see anyone's name mentioned with a, you know, an accomplishment, the name next to him is Wilt. You know, so-and-so is the first one to do this in so many years, and he's done it, you know, five times in his career. And, oh, by the way, Wilt's done it 30. Right? It, it, it's, there's the book of Wilt. That's the record book. And, oh, by the way, he won two championships and two of the greatest teams. You can look them up, folks, in the history of the sport. The 1967 76ers that broke the all-time record for most wins. They went 68-13 and 13 and stopped the Celtics' streak of – championships and oh by the way then he got traded to the lakers and went to uh four more finals and one of which was 1972 where they broke that 68 win record and went 69 and 13 in an 82 game season and set the record that will never be broken in the history of the nba and u.s team sports the all-time greatest single streak in United States, North American sports history, the Lakers' prolific 33-game winning streak. Wilt, Jerry West, Gail Goodrich, Jim McMillan, Happy Hairston. That was 1972, and oh, by the way, they beat a Nick team that had five Hall of Famers. Uh, so they weren't just beating up on dogs. Those are the two world championships. And then, oh, by the way, you know I have Michael Jordan ahead of him, who's six for six. Six trips to the finals six championships, six MVPs in the finals, along with being, you know, on the list. Uh, I forget the list now. LeBron is one. Kareem is two. Carl Malone is three. Kobe is four. And I think Jordan is five. Yep. I think those are your five highest scores of all time. So you, you, those are the four guys other than Carl Malone that are my top four. So it's not like I'm kicking, you know, kicking LeBron to the back of the back of the class. I just have, you know, two of those guys ahead of him, you know, in in Michael Jordan and Kareem. Yeah. And, you know, it's not by leaps and bounds. (laughs) You know, this is a four horse race. Now, I will say it's a four horse race. Yeah. Those are my four. Uh, Believe it or not, I, I, I do have magic well behind them and, and uh not well but you know behind them the, to, to me it's those four uh i i could make an argument for will you know and I, I could make an argument for any of the four but uh you know i've got them you know third slash fourth you know i have to think about the wilt thing you know it, it's harder because wilt is the most separated in terms of the time frame you know because wilt started his career in the 60s you know, folks, Will Chamberlain's alone scored 100 points a game, just to refresh your recollection. Scored 100 points in one game, averaged 50 points a season. Uh, and during that season, he averaged over 40 minutes a game, 48 minutes a game, excuse me. So that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. It, that's right. And that there was still 48 minutes in, in, in a game. He averaged over 48 minutes a game because there were some overtimes. And oh, by the way, in his entire career, he never fell out of a game. He couldn't shoot free throws, 
but he was the greatest scorer. He was the greatest rebounder. He was a triple-double machine at seven feet, one inches tall. He was, you know, on my Mount Rushmore of the most dominant single individuals in the history of American team sports. Will Chamberlain, basketball. Babe Ruth, baseball. Jimmy Brown, football. Wayne Gretzky, hockey. That's my Mount Rushmore of individual dominance in the history of, you know, if you want to, hockey's not an American sport, but you know, hockey's one of the four majors. So those are my four guys that are on my Mount Rushmore in the history of individuals who dominated their sport. They rewrote the record books. They shattered them. They smashed them. Uh, Wilts, some of his records are broken. Uh, most of Jim Brown's records have been broken. He only played nine years. And, you know, Wilt didn't play as long as these other guys because um, obviously careers have gotten longer and longer as time has gone on. Gretzky's records still haven't been touched. And, you know, obviously we know about Babe Ruth, whose records were finally broken by Hank Aaron and Barry Bonds. And, and, and <coughs> excuse me. But remember, you know, it was so far removed from, you know, what people can appreciate was the fact that, you know, the first portion of his career, he was a pitcher. So um, those are my four, and they're never going to change. So um, the, uh, the the separation, however, of the top guys is, is minuscule. It's paper thin. It's razor thin. Well, and the reason why people listen to the new report, old report, is because you put me down for LeBron James. <laughs> And it's a lot of it, a generational thing for this. Understood, but respectfully disagree. Of course. I will say what is a bizarre, cool, a Black Mirror episode in real life, the now will be famous photograph of LeBron taking that last fadeaway shot with poor Thomas Bryant in the post. Great seal, by the way, calling for the ball. And everybody in the crowd has their phone out. Either holding it with one hand or two hands, which is an interesting move. Video, photo, we got to get the last shot in the stands of this LeBron James moment. Even his kids are doing it, sitting in the front row. There's one person that you could visually see that does not have his phone out. And it's Phil Knight, who, of course, signed a certain basketball player many years ago to quite the deal and has seen some things in his life. He doesn't need to have his phone out. He's soaking in the moment. And it's something I think that's gotten lost in lives events whether it's sports or concerts or anything of the sort where there's this assumption or this push really to want to share this moment with people on social media when really it's not so much for you to capture the memory for yourself. It's for you to show the moment to your friends and to the public like, Hey, look at me. I'm here tonight. Because that's all that is for that LeBron moment. 
It's going to be on every outlet that there is. You'll see it again. You'll see yourself in the background. Hey, new, look, there was me. But you have new, to show new, people new, that you're new, there. New movie coming out soon. Called Air. Matt Damon. Ben Affleck. Exactly. Who else exactly. would play those dudes? Exactly. In, in the roles of Phil Knight and Sonny Vaccaro. How about it's that? It's going to tell that tale. How about that? Can't wait. I thought it was I'm so sure. cool. I'm sure course, it'll be terrific. To see Phil Knight as the guy that doesn't have his phone out. And it's such an incredible juxtaposition of that picture compared to the game six final shot of Michael Jordan, which shows the look into the crowd of what he saw when that shot went up six seconds on the scoreboard, all the jazz fans beginning to look in despair before the shot actually leaves his fingertips and way up in the rafters, one little kid bulls fan with his hands up, holding up the number six. Cause he knows it's going in. Of course it is. We all knew Jordan knew it was going in. As soon as it left his fingertips, you know, it's like the commercial with Larry Bird, nothing but net. Crazy. It had that stroke. It had that rotation. It had that follow through. You saw the fingers. It, it was perfect. And obviously, it was perfect. we don't have phones, of course. As was the little push off on Byron Russell. Yeah, just a little. They See, didn't... that's the thing. You know, yours truly. You know, I'm not some Jordan. I rooted against Jordan. I rooted against Jordan because it's. I rooted against Jordan when he was playing the Jazz. You know, I, I rooted for the Suns and, and Barkley against Jordan. So you know, my opinions are just oozing with objectivity, as always. Subjectivity is, is not the way I roll. I, I give you, you know, the facts, and I give you the opinion based upon facts. This is not based upon, you know, I'd have Kobe at the top of the list. You know, I, I'd have Magic at the top of the list. I'd have Kareem number one. Now Jordan's number one. That's it, and that's all. That's it, and that's all. It's just going to be a fun conversation down the road, like with your grandkids, looking at both those pictures, one of LeBron James breaking the all-time points record, and one of Michael Jordan's what should have been his last shot of his career. Grandpa, why aren't everybody holding their phones in that Michael Jordan picture? <laughs> What's going on? Everybody's just watching the moment happen live. Strange. What kind My of world were you living in? If I ever have grandchildren, <laughs> they'll probably be asking, what are those things people are holding? It's true. That's probably that's probably what the God knows what the next thing's gonna be for whomever the next player is. In you you actually years. had to, you had to hold your phone. We have ours. I, it wasn't built into your forehead. We have ours built right in. What are you, what are you talking okay. about? You had to hold you it. You were, you weren't born with it embedded in your forehead. It wasn't implanted in your forehead at birth. You actually had to go to the game. We're virtual reality now, man. You just stand in the pod and you could go wherever you want. You had to go to the game. Boy, what kind of world you guys are living in. <laughs> Crazy. This leads into what will be Sunday, 
the Super Bowl. The Chiefs, 14-3. and three, The Eagles, 14-3 and three in the regular season. The spread, at least via ESPN and at least via now, is the Eagles minus a point and a half. I think that's where it opened. So it's been going up and down and up and down, but it's pretty much staying there. I think Vegas thinks, and rightly so, that the public is viewing this kind of like a toss-up game. I think that's been helped a little by the Mahomes ankle injury. People still aren't sure how that's holding up. I think McCole Harmon going on IR, another wide receiver down, and what we saw last week when so many wide, two weeks ago, excuse me, when so many wide receivers went down, people have that in the back of their mind as well, and they've just seen the Eagles play great football of late. So I think the public wants to keep it to just give you that, wow, we could get the Chiefs money line for plus money? Let's cook! It's probably you know, plus 115. Chiefs all the way. They have to obviously fear for the dreaded, could you imagine, only winning by one point and losing all those bets if the Eagles do that. But I think they've set it at an incredibly appealing number for either side of people that want to bet at one and a half. The over-under is 51, by the way. Against the shorthanded Niner team, which you know got worse because of the injury to, to Brock Purdy. Uh, but I thought the Eagles, as we discussed, uh, were going to win that game uh, and cover, uh, which they did in a landslide, much more so because, you know, they didn't have a quarterback after Purdy got hurt because when he came back in, he couldn't throw the ball. And obviously the other quarterback who was, uh, you know, the third stringer got hurt quickly. And who knows what would happen if he stayed healthy and could throw the ball. But I don't think the outcome would have been that much different. But we'll never know. And the Eagles did what they do. They rushed the quarterback. They ran the ball. They got turnovers. And that's why they're 14-3 and and only had one loss for a good chunk of the season. And they're incredibly deep on both sides of the ball. People are raving about their offensive line and their defensive line. And to me, the key to this game will be the same thing that was the key to the AFC Championship game and why. Cincinnati lost, along with some brutal, horrible, unconscionable officiating. And again, no rooting interest. Didn't bet on the game. You know I'm a Ravens fan, folks, so I don't like the Bengals. But the officiating in this game was a black mark for the league. And I'm not even talking about the play that they got to do to do over on an incredibly important third down play where they got to run it back. And fortunately, you know, it didn't have any impact because the Bengals held and they had to punt anyway. Never seen anything like it. The the calls that went against Cincinnati, um, the at least three, I mean, they called block in the back slash holding on virtually every punt return. There were a minimum of three obvious blocks in the back on the last punt return that helped set Kansas City up to being in possible field goal range, which were capped off by the awful, not call, 
but the terribly uh, poorly timed uh, personal foul late hit out of bounds on Mahomes uh, by that poor kid, you know, Asai from uh, University of Texas. How they missed all of those on the most important return of the game was beyond belief. They missed them all. It was a game which I told you would be decided by whether Cincinnati could block number 95 and cover number 87. They couldn't block number nine, number 95 when it mattered most. And in the biggest of spots, they couldn't cover number 87. And Patrick Mahomes played incredibly well and made some magnificent throws. The The, the touchdown throw, you know, the, the touchdown throw in uh, on third and eight or thereabouts over the middle, you know, against pressure when he stepped up with the bad ankle and just threw a rocket with, you know, a few inches of space was remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. That's that's otherworldly. There's a couple of guys in my lifetime, you know, a handful who make that throw. And, uh, you know, four or five of them in my mind, and he's one of them. You know, Aaron Rodgers is another. Uh, Marino is another. You know, uh, incredible velocity and accuracy and the speed with which that throw got through. And uh, it's just just amazing. So they survive again, as Patrick Mahomes has yet to play a, a playoff game on the road. They survive in advance. But I, I think that uh, this is going to come down to their ability you know, to block number 95 and keep them away from Jalen Hurts and to cover 87. And Because that's what the, the wide receivers are all banged up. You got to make sure that somehow, some way, when it's third and long and Patrick Mahomes is creating time, that all of a sudden number 87 is out there within anybody with 10 yards of him. Uh, we talked about the sad of the night. How it always happens, I don't know. No idea. Yeah. You, you're my best guy. Cover him. I don't care about anybody else. Cover him. I don't care if he goes to the bench. Go cover him. I don't care if he's, you know, 50 yards away from play. Cover him. Cover him. Period. Cover him. Somebody screams, somebody else is running, then you can turn around. But until then, cover him everywhere he goes. Everywhere. If he goes to the bathroom, cover him. Simple as that. And block 95. And all the experts seem to think that this Philadelphia offensive line uh, can protect the quarterback and run the football and that this Philadelphia defensive line will put pressure on Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I'm going to pick Philadelphia and I'm going to pick Philadelphia in the same kind of fashion I did against the Niners uh, I'm going to go Philadelphia 27, Kansas City 20. My mind is telling me to bet the Kansas City Chiefs, to bet them on the money line, to get that advantage. How can you bet against Patrick Mahomes and what he's done? How can you bet against Andy Reid and what he's done? But I get the feeling if I go that way, and 
around Super Bowl time, us degenerates, this is the real last go for football, obviously. So you throw a couple more shekels than you normally would on these games like an idiot. You bet prop bets like an idiot. You, you're going to bet 72 prop bets. I'm betting the coin toss. There's no question. I'm betting my favorite bet. Is, National anthem length. Well, I might throw a little bit down on that, but my favorite bet is over two and a half people to throw a pass in the game. All you need is one other person aside one from option. the quarterbacks to throw it. One option, one flea flicker, one fake field goal. Anything. Even, yeah, and not even a fake field goal. Botch snap. We got to just throw it. Throw it up yep. for grabs. Yep. Punt goes yep. awry. Get rid of it. Yep. yep. So the Chiefs are playing against the team who last played in the Super Bowl and did a Philly special, of course, historic en route to beating Tom Brady. You don't think Andy Reid is going to put a Philly special together just because? That's all I need. I would I would bet that over every time. Yeah. I mean, have some fun to root for. Like, you, as soon as the first lateral is thrown, you're screaming at the house, throw it! One flea flick. <laughs> One, one one flea flick. Just one. one flea flick. One flea flick. Just one. That's my favorite. I'll probably find I like to find like silly things that happen. A lot of people do the safety and that hit two years in a row, which was thrilling. I think the same person hit that twice and won like a hundred thousand dollars, which good for you, man. I'm not thinking that safety's gonna happen as the first score of the game. Peyton Manning would like to forget about it too. But I think there's a Will a, an extra point or field goal hit the upright or like the crossbar, hit any part of the, the goal post? That's always fun because then you're rooting for a missed extra point. Miss it. Hit it. Well, Harrison, <laughs> Butthead, have to miss it. Harrison it Butthead has missed a lot of extra points. Yeah. Well, I'm, we're know, looking for close misses, though. We so hit he's some. always a good bet to miss an extra point. Yeah. We need a good clang. You know, that's what we're looking for. And here's a stat that is astonishing. And you know, these sleuths on social media find everything that you can imagine. Total number of accepted penalties made in the game by both teams. So accepted penalties. 10 is over 125. Under is minus 105. And the reason it's skewed a little is that Carl Cheffers who is the head official for the game in 10 games with the chiefs in the Mahomes era, the under of 10 has never hit. It's a hundred percent hit rate for over 10 penalties accepted. The lowest number is 11. The second lowest number is 12. And then it goes 14, 15, 15, 16, 17, 18. You get the idea. Hey, I'm in for that. Who would have thought? Ten accepted penalties. Throw those flags. So, like, stupid stuff like that I like to have some fun with instead of just, oh, will Kelsey have 99 receiving yards or whatever godly number they're going to put is that. I think the numbers are going to be way too high in this game for both offenses just because of how they've done this season. And that's going to be tough to bet against. You don't want to be betting unders. How boring. Anyway, I think if I were to take the Chiefs, what would happen is you'd blink and it's going to be 14 nothing Eagles. The crowd is going to be deafening. 
And you're going to be looking around at the people you're with like, what the hell did I do wrong? Why did I pick the Chiefs? What a stupid idiot. So despite my disdain for the Philadelphia Eagles as somebody that grew up in PA, not as an Eagles fan, despite my disdain, of course, as well, for the, the Kansas City Chiefs as a Broncos fan who can't beat Kansas City anymore, I, I, I'm talking myself into the Eagles, Al, as silly as that might sound because Vegas is just begging you to back Patrick Mahomes and what has he done to not make you want to do that? And unfortunately, I work on Big 12 Radio and Sirius XM. We talk to his high school coach. We talk to the dude that recruited him to Texas Tech. We talk to his former offensive coordinator at Texas Tech. And obviously, everybody speaks swimmingly of the guy. How could you not pull for him? It's going to be tough. I don't know whether to just bite the bullet and take the over and just pull for points and take the easy way out. Score more than 51, we all win. So I still have to think about it, but for our purposes here, I will take the Eagles 31 and the Chiefs 27, which would hit the over. I think it's going to be a great Super Bowl. I think there's a chance for really, really, I don't know about great, but I think there's a chance for really good Super Bowl. Absolutely. Look, these are the two best teams. They've been the two best teams all year. Best quarterback in football. Uh, you know, he retook, he reiterated his, his throne as we talked about uh, going into the championship games. Uh, it's Joe Burrow's opportunity to take the throne since he hadn't lost to Mahomes yet. And he was outplayed by Mahomes every step of the way. Granted, you know, he didn't have much time to throw. But the point is, he was outplayed by Mahomes. Uh, Mahomes is the best quarterback in the game. He played much better in these postseason in this postseason than both Burrow and Allen. And he's the guy. If there was ever any doubt, which there was for a while from some people, including me, that's been removed. He is the unequivocal best quarterback in the game. He's number one. Everybody else is chasing him. But that doesn't mean he's got the best team. That doesn't mean he's going to win the Super Bowl. He's one and one in Super Bowls. We'll see if he's on the road to many more or if he's going to be one of those guys who's like, well, you know, he's one and two in Super Bowls. He has played very well in him. Uh, or does he go out and really put a stamp on the notion that he's the best quarterback, number one. He has a chance to be the best quarterback of all time, number two. And he has a chance to continue winning Super Bowls for a long, long time. Now, we may think that even if he loses this Super Bowl, if he plays really well. But, you know, you're starting to see some changes of the guard with Kansas City. The great wide receivers aren't there anymore. A lot of injuries. Uh, you know, how long can Travis Kelsey continue to catch every big important pass, you know, in, in the postseason and be wide open like they're playing, you know, 11 on five? I don't know how long they continue to happen, but you know, regardless, uh, how long can they continue to put a supporting cast out there with him with salary caps and you know, a, a top flight defense with what they've got to pay other guys? Division's getting better you know, with the Chargers. Obviously, you know, you're a great new coach. 
in Denver. Um, and who knows what will overcome of the Raiders. But it, it'll, it, you know, it gets harder and harder and harder. And we talked about, you know, we're going to run it back. Everybody tries to run it back. They tried to run it back. Tampa tried to run it back. Everybody wants to run it back. They couldn't run it back. Nobody's been able to run it back. So we'll see if he wins his second Super Bowl or if you know Jalen Hurts wins his first. Uh, it's going to be a very, very interesting game. Well said. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Folks, enjoy your Super Bowl parties. Enjoy your Super Bowl pools. Enjoy your Super Bowl commercials. I have no idea who's singing the national anthem. I guarantee it won't be anyone that I've ever heard of. Chris Stapleton. Who? Yep, Chris Stapleton. Who? I could have said anybody. Yep, exactly. No, is that who's singing it? Yep, Chris Stapleton. Okay, I've never heard of any musical person named Chris Stapleton, (laughs) so I was right. I am the old report, and I am proud of it. Until next time, for my partner, the great John Tiny Lund, I am El Renato Akeel from White Plains. Have a great Super Bowl weekend, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well, or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.